time keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. It's Wednesday, everybody. We're halfway through the week. Praise be to God. Today is October the 26th. And uh, it's the feast day of Pope St. Evaristius. He was one of the first ten popes. Praise be to God. Pope St. Avaristius, pray for us. Now, today on CDT, we're going we're gonna to debunk a couple of myths. Some might say that Halloween is pagan in its origins. Is that really true? We're actually going to take a look at this, and we're going to probably make a case as to why you and your family should participate in Halloween festivities. Father Rock, the associate pastor of Virginia Chaley here in Houston, is going to join us to discuss Halloween and uh, how how can we celebrate it as Catholics. And uh, look, I know, I know we've been talking about a lot of bummer topics this week, and I just want to say I'm aware of that, okay? And so to lighten up the mood today, I thought it would be nice to talk about something different for a change. So we're going to talk about death and dying. (laughs) But uh, look, I know death and dying, it might sound, whoa, that's so heavy. Actually, there's some hope to it. And my good friend Jordan Pacheco is going to join us at 15 past the hour to discuss the latest project that he's working on at the Augustine Institute over in Colorado project called Death and Dying, and it's a brand new uh, video series that's going to be dropping in the next week or so, I believe. So we're going to discuss that with him, and it's going to be a hopeful conversation. Obviously, our hope is uh, after this veil of tears, we uh, live a life that is is worthy of us to attain this unity with God in heaven. So it's not all bad news there. And uh, in the next hour, since we change things around, we're going to be talking about David Delighton and why... It's, it's the time for you to stand up for what is right. I mean, we're seeing cases all over the place. People saying things. Uh, we had the FBI whistleblowers. Their, their conscience was burning, and so they had to take a stand for what is right. They had to speak out. And the time is coming for you, possibly, to have to speak out, to put everything on the line. So we're going to talk about David Delighton in the next hour. Praise be to God. Joining us again in the studio today is Brent Haynes. Attorney Brent Haynes, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Rudy. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm glad to be here. And uh, Praise be to God. Now, it's not all doom and gloom out there. Look, we have the eternal hope. And look, we live Amen. in the freest, greatest country on the face of the earth, despite our problems. But it's we true. talk about those problems so we can try to fix them, right? And it's weather, sweater weather. Which is good news in Houston. Yeah, I know. It's it's I think there's nice. some nice I think, and brisk. I think there's some listeners further north who wish it were sweater sweater weather. What do you mean? It's pretty cold up north now. I mean, it's probably too cold already. Oh, it's for too cold. Yeah, snow some. and all that stuff. Woo! Speaking of snow, the youth of snow, the youth of snow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. You know, you said uh, some might say, and speaking of some might say, some might say that Adrian Fonseca is the greatest among all people. Well, someone might say it. I don't think anyone has said it, but some might say it. Huh. Possible. You know, I saw this post on Twitter the other day, and someone was like, still dressed in like, and these nice, uh, nice flowy dress outside, and they're posted, and they're like, 
uh, outside yeah, drinking with tea with uh, 26 degree weather. And I was mm. like, what? 26 degree weather? Are we talking about? Celsius. Oh, Celsius. Celsius. What is was, that, like 80 degrees? It's like 88 degrees, <laughs> like that. I was like, I was like, it's 26 degrees and you're hanging out outside degrees. in that outfit? Are you oh, crazy? Man. I've but only been in Europeans, that type of wedding, uh, wedding, that type of weather just once. And that was out in the desert in California. And it was like getting close to zero. It yeah, was no thanks. No. And the wind was coming in. It was enough. It, it was enough to chill your bones. Yeah. No, thank you. But in any case, there's a lot to get to today. So why don't you join me in prayer today? And uh, we're going to offer this, this prayer for your holy intentions, dear listener, for those holy souls in purgatory and for the conversion of sinners everywhere. Please join me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And now, here's your breaking news for today. Good morning to you all. It's uh, Wednesday, October the 26th, and here are your breaking news this morning. The Blaze Report's Orlando LGBTQ uh, Center shuts down Halloween Drag Queen Story Hour after receiving threats. An LGBT group has shut down its Halloween Drag uh, Story Hour event in Orlando, Florida, after it received threats from hate groups, so-called, according to its director. George Wallace, the executive director of the organization, told the Orlando Sentinel that the event had uh, sold out with 75 parents and children signing up for the show. Praise be to God, it's canceled. He also denied that the story hour involved sexualization of children, saying, Drag Queen Story Hour is not about sexualization. It is reading to children stories about love and acceptance and just being a good person. I think that these people who actually threaten violence could learn a lot from attending one of these events. The Daily Signal reports New York City Supreme Court uh, reinstates unvaccinated, uh, unvaccinated employees with back pay. It was about compliance. Judge Ralph J. Porzio wrote in his ruling that if the vaccine mandate was about safety and public health, unvaccinated workers would have been placed on leave the moment the order was issued. It was about if it was about safety and public health, the health commissioner would have issued citywide mandates for vaccination for all residents, he continued. In a city with nearly 80% vaccination rate, we shouldn't be penalizing the people who showed up to work at great risk to themselves and their families while they were locked down. Praise be to God, that's a great ruling. Reuters reports fungal infection list launched by WHO flags global health threat. Here's another thing to worry about. The UN body, which has similar lists for viruses and bacteria, said fungal infections and their increasing resistance to treatment were a growing risk. However, a historic lack of focus on the danger meant that there were huge gaps in knowledge, as well as a lack of surveillance, treatments, and diagnostics. And Breitbart reports, Turkey prices set to soar for Thanksgiving. There appears to be still some hangover from the avian influenza outbreaks that we had this spring, so total turkey production is down, and as a result, wholesale prices are up. Purdue University's Dr. Jason Lusk, who's a professor, and head of the Agricultural Economics Department said, Lusk expects wholesale prices to raise about 30% higher uh, than last year. So maybe, uh, I don't know, consider chicken? In any case, those are your headline news this morning. God love you.
the saints of the day, yes, I got two for you today, is Blessed Damien of Fenario and Saint Alfred the Great. Saint Damien of Fenaro was born in Fulcari, Liguria, Italy. One of the bright lights of the 15th century was Damien of Fenario. Unfortunately, we know very little about him except that he lived at a time and place not noted for sanctity, and he was known as a holy man. Damien was born in Fenario near Genoa at the end of the 14th century. His people were rich and noble and also pious. We know nothing of his youth except that not too revealing fact that when he was a baby, he was kidnapped by a lunatic. His parents prayed to Our Lady and the baby was returned unharmed. Damien entered the Order of St. Dominic, the Order of Preachers, at Genoa and became a diligent student and a model Dominican. He was to be known especially for his preaching. The field of his endeavor was Italy. He seems never to have left the country, and by the force of his preaching, he inspired many hundreds of sinners to repentance. And since the 15th century produced many sinners who needed such preaching, he was kept supplied with work for a long lifetime. Damien died in a little village near Medina in 1884 and immediately became the object of much pious speculation. Because of the miracles worked at his tomb, he was not, however, beatified until 1848, though his relics were, by that time, widely distributed and his cult was well known. The second saint of the day is Alfred the Great, born either in 848 or 49. He was king of the West Saxons from 871 to 886 and king of the English from 886 until his death in 899. He was the youngest son of King Aethelwulf and his first wife Oshbur, who are both died when Alfred, who both were di died when Alfred was young. Under Alfred's rule, considerable administrative and military reforms were introduced, prompting lasting change in England. After ascending the throne, Alfred spent several years fighting Viking invasions. He won a decisive victory in the Battle of Eddington in 878 and made an agreement with the Vikings, dividing England between Anglo-Saxon territory and Viking rule Danelaw, composed of northern England and northeast Midlands and East Anglia. Alfred also oversaw the conversion of the Viking leader Guthrum of to Christianity. He defended his kingdom against the Viking attempts of conquest and becoming the dominant ruler in England. Alfred began styling himself as the King of the English after reoccupying London after the Vikings. Details of his life are described in a work by 9th century Welsh scholar and Bishop Asser. Alfred had a reputation as a learned and merciful man of a gracious and level-headed nature, who encouraged education, proposing that primary education be conducted in English rather than Latin and improving the legal system and military structure and his people's quality of life. He was given the epithet Great in the 16th century and is only one of the two English monarchs alongside Knut the Great to be labeled as such. Blessed Damien of Fenario and Saint Alfred the Great, pray for us. The Gospel of the Day comes to us from Luke chapter 13 verses 22 to 30. Jesus passed through towns and villages, teaching as he went and making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He answered them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. After the master of the house has arisen and locked the door, then will you stand outside knocking and saying, 
Lord, open the door for us. And he will say to you in reply, I do not know where you are from. And you will say, We ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. And then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. For behold, there are, there are some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Commentary today comes from the uh, Hadock commentary. And he says, Shall seek, shall desire to be saved, but for want of taking sufficient pains and not being thoroughly in earnest, shall not attain to it. Thus, according to Channeler, our Lord answers here in the affirmative that the number of those who are saved is very small. For a few only can enter by the narrow gate. This certainly puts a kibosh on the theories of some theologians who would say that hell is empty or that it's easy for us to attain heaven. How do we attain heaven? By living a life that is worthy. By living out those commandments. The commandments are still in play. We often pretend that they're not. We often live our lives otherwise. And we think that at the end of our lives, we're going to have a shot at trying to reconcile ourselves with God. Some people go on with this false belief, and they never get an opportunity. Therefore does he say, according to St. Matthew, narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few there that enter therein. This does not contradict what is said in the 8th chapter of St. Matthew, that many shall come from the east and sit down in the kingdom of God, for many indeed shall join the blessed company of the angels. But when considered with the number of the slain, they will appear but few, thus according to St. Augustine. Then the Almighty casts any off, he said, that is to not know them, in the same manner as a lover of truth may be said, not to know how to tell a falsehood, being withheld powerfully from it by his love of truth. We have to enter through the narrow gate. We have to strive. We have to conquer ourselves in this world so that we may obtain heaven. Don't go away. More Catholic Drive Time right after this break. Have you ever dialogued with someone who espouses relativism, which says there is no truth or it might be true for you, but not for me? It's pretty frustrating. Deep down, we know these claims are false, but we often don't know why. Here's the reason. To say there is no truth is a contradiction. The assertion is tantamount to saying it's true that there is no truth, plain absurdity. Now the other position, there is no absolute truth, just truth relative to the individual set of beliefs, is problematic as well. The usage of the verb is implies an assertion about the objective order of things. It's the same thing as saying it's absolutely true that there is no absolute truth, which of course is a contradiction. No matter how the relativist slices the pie, he ends up with a contradiction, making relativism an unreasonable worldview. 
I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Doc, where are you taking this car? Great Scott, Marty! The Guadalupe Radio Network is saving so many souls, and by donating this car, it helps their future! And it's a great tax deduction. Yes! Just call 1-866-628-2277 or go to grnonline.com and click on Donate. That's heavy. No, Marty! Not heavy! It's charitable! Flux capacitor not included. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And I have a special treat for us today. My good friend Jordan Pacheco is going to join us. Jordan is the, the lead editor at the Augustine Institute over in Colorado. And you might, you might know Formed, uh, you know, that's their, their flagship streaming service over at the Augustine Institute. And uh, he joins us via Zoom. Good morning to you, Jordan. Hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? Ah, praise be to God. It's great here. How are things over there in Colorado? Oh, man, we watched a cold front coming this weekend, so it's now cold as sin. <laughs> yeah, speaking of colds, I think I'm coming down with one. Oh, don't, don't do that. Avoid oh, avoid that. Avoid but, getting cold. You know, praise be to God. It's it's like Rudy was saying in the morning, we had sweater weather here. I'm glad it's not uh, like just bone chilling. Bone chilling. I can't, I, I can't deal with that. It's Houstonians, no, no thank you. Well, <laughs> speaking of being cold and maybe in the ground, Jordan, you've been working on a project over at the Augustine Institute called Death and Dying. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so the official title is going to be Eternal Rest, The Art of Dying Well. Uh, it drops on All Souls Day, November 1st. Nice. And um, I know, it's just fantastic. And I've been working on it for over a year, us and the entire team at the Augustine Institute, um, but I certainly a senior editor. So it's it's covering, it's a four-part docuseries that's going to be dropping on form, but it covers everything, death and dying, heaven, hell, judgment, purgatory, how do we deal with grief as Catholics, where did death come from? Uh, the story of salvation, these sorts of things. So we've been working extremely hard on it, and uh, I think it's going to be certainly one of the uh, the the fresh bangers to come out of the AI. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know when we talk about death, I think a lot of people get automatically turned off, and they say, "Well, that's just a bummer topic." But uh, you know what what is the silver lining to all of this? I mean, you talked about preparing for death and and dying well. Uh, what does that entail? Yeah, so you know the Christian life has to always have the cross and particularly the crucifix of course so mm -hmm. the 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 paramount of our faith the symbol of our faith is the fact that christ so loved us that he actually died for our sins right for the salvation of all all men and so therefore um death is not something that needs to be scary christians don't think that death is the end right catholics don't need to dread it but in fact if we live our lives well according to the teachings of the church then we can pass peacefully into into heaven and god willing hereafter and so you know a lot of the series really deals with the fact that death yeah it seems like it can be dangerous because our modern world thinks that it's macabre and that it's everything's material and this is all you get but in reality christians know that death can be uh, a friend in a way because because christ has conquered it and has made it the doorway in which we can enter eternal life with him amen yeah today's gospel was talking about how narrow the gate is and how few are saved and I wonder sometimes if uh, the fewness of the saved has any correlation to the fact that we love this world. We just we just cannot imagine or fathom that there's something beyond this. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, this is kind of the unfortunate place everyone has found themselves, especially, you know, we are, thank God, beyond the, the COVID scares, right? But what I think that exposed, even for a lot of religious people, is that we live our lives ostensibly as materialists, right? That instead of worrying about our souls and that which comes after, um, a life of the sacraments, life of grace, these sorts of things, we would rather close up and protect the body at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a quote by St. Augustine I really think a lot about, and he says, uh, you know, why would you fear death? You cannot escape death rather fear hell because you can't avoid hell and so that's the kind of life that we should live a life understanding that death is inevitable but again it doesn't have to be tragic in fact it can actually be a great a great triumph and, and a very beautiful moment if we live our lives according to the laws of christ jordan um what is it what exactly happens to people after they die i know the um and one thing that i love to read is the way the saints die is reading the the manner in which they die. I love King St. Ferdinand clearing his room and bringing in the crucifix and get, getting on his knees, confessing his sins publicly in front of his family. Uh, it was just a beautiful way to see the way the saints die. But after death, what happens? Yeah, so all uh, it says, the book of Hebrews says that it is given that man should die and then face judgment, right? And so we know that everyone will have their particular judgment and it's kind of tricky how the mechanics of this work. We figure it might be an immediate experience, but everyone uh, will uh, see their sins, right? And we'll see their virtuous acts. And we'll see their faith. And we'll kind of see ourselves as, as God sees ourselves. And we'll also see ourselves as we've been throughout our entire life. So the moment we die, we pass into into the next realm spiritually. And of course, we are judged. Of course, that's the particular judgment, right? We, we of course, as Catholics, of course, hold that there's a general judgment where our bodies come back and we kind of see the ruling of all of history um, in this part. But after that point, it's it's heaven, hell, purgatory. And the theologians seem to talk about it as a sort of immediate experience. Uh, we have a lot of professors who do a really great job expounding upon what judgment actually kind of means for us. So this must have been just a humongous project. How long have you been working on it? Yeah, so you know, I was married June of last year, and so I was already kind of working on it prior to my marriage. But as soon as I I came back, I I got promoted as senior editor, and this was like this has been my full time thing. Um, I've sunk thousands of hours, and and not just me, of course. This has been a compendium. We're talking about the 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 gracious uh, usage of hundreds of people on this project. Certainly, everyone in the studios team. We've had. All of our professors on this, you know, um, Tim Gray directly, you know, just a, a great compendium. We went to uh, to interview residents of the Mullen Home, which was a little sisters of the poor a house for the elderly poor here in Denver. We've gone all over the place. So this is definitely not a small project. This is a, a proper, serious uh, film endeavor that, like any proper film endeavor, has taken hundreds of people and thousands upon thousands of man hours in order to put into place. I'd like to get into the uh, the you know the the aspect of of actual good filmmaking that's so necessary in telling our Catholic stories. But before I do that, I'd like to know: was there anything that was surprising to you, or or that you think is going to be just really surprising to to the the audience who watches this death and dying series? Yeah, I I think that there will be some some great surprises. Uh, part of the surprises I really think of first and foremost is. Uh, I think a lot of us don't really think about the last four things, just generally speaking, right? Even if we Catholics might be attuned to it, heaven, hell, or judgment, purgatory, right? Mm. Um, and so I think that, oh, I'm sorry, death, judgment, heaven, hell. And so I think that the way that we go about it is, is extremely uh, informative, but also it's very stylistic, right? And so it's not just like a run-of-the-mill academic sort of series. Um, 
as for as for particular surprises, I think that part of it was the beauty of uncovering the sacraments, the last rites towards the end of life, right? So we we have uh, the anointing of the sick, of mm. course, extreme unction. We have um, uh, we have confession, but also what's interesting is that our last reception of Holy Communion is called viaticum, which is bread for the journey, right? That which we take uh -huh. with you. So there's a really beautiful way in which we realize that our last reception of Holy Communion can God really be the fuel if, if it is our hour indeed to hopefully propel us into, into eternal life. And, and hopefully if we've made our sacraments properly, that's let's straight into heaven. It's possible. Yeah, definitely. I, if I remember correctly, I think you mentioned that the, the story also follows somebody who's actually passing away. Is that true? Yeah. So we have, we have, we have a lot of interviews with, with, a lot of different people and, and they're dealing with different aspects of death. Um, mm. Interesting. But one thing that's very beautiful is that we had the opportunity to, to interview a, a beautiful, wonderful woman, almost 90 years old, uh, named Ida May at Landrum at the Mullen home. And she passed away, uh, I think it was about 10 days after we filmed. And wow. it's just incredible because when I was getting the footage casually, um, you would never have guessed, you know, she seems strong as an ox, as strong as you could be for 90 years old. So it's amazing how, you know, our fortunes can change in such a short amount of time, but also how people, you know, you look into their eyes and you hear their stories and you know, some people are ready to experience death. You know, someone has acknowledged they might have just fewer sunsets than, than they used to. And so mm. therefore they're more focused on the things to come rather than, than this world as we know it. Yeah, you know, Jordan, I, it's really interesting. Whenever my uh, my grandmother died about a year ago, one of the things that really struck me was whenever the priest came and we uh, we went over to the funeral home because she wasn't buried in a Catholic cemetery. You know, the ground itself wasn't consecrated, the ground itself wasn't blessed. So I went out. We brought the thurible and everything, and we and it was. It felt like one of those old old movies, and it, you never see this anymore. Even among a lot of Catholic funerals. They went out and he did an exorcism over the ground and blessed the ground. And he uh, did all these prayers over not just the actual funeral mass itself, the requiem mass itself, but over the actual ground that they're putting her in. And that was really uh, something that I hadn't experienced before. Do you all focus at all about the actual uh, elements of like the requiem mass or the, the mass of the dead and uh, the burial and those kind of things as well? That's, that's absolutely beautiful that you were able to do that for your grandma. And we do, in fact, focus on that. Um, in our fourth episode, we deal with grief. What do we say to Catholics who are, or to loved ones really, who are left behind, so to speak, right? How do we contextualize grief? We go through the story of Job, of course. We, we talk to a couple who, uh, who, uh, who lost their child. Uh, only an hour out of the womb, right? So we, we deal with a lot of things. And of course, we do talk about the Requiem Mass, and we actually have a really, really great explainer piece um, halfway through the show that goes through the funeral mass itself and explains, um, we, we have Father Richard Pergano in it, who, who did such a great job explaining that, uh, you know, the liturgy actually continues. It doesn't just stop at the church, but actually it processes out to the gravesite and that there are prayers that hallow the ground he talks about and how there are psalms and there are hymns and there are, there are prayers in particular as we, as we continue with the committal, right? As we, we move our loved ones into the earth. Um, and I think that's absolutely beautiful. I think that it's something that a lot of Catholics don't really think about, of course, that, that side of what the beauty of the Requiem Mass is, but as well as the importance of sacred ground in the, in the Catholic cemetery and having a place of remembrance. Yeah. Well, Jordan, we're down to just a few minutes here, and I just want to uh, to give you the floor here and talk about Catholic filmmaking, you know, because 
a lot of these different stories are, are I mean, these are the greatest things that we can talk about. And uh, frankly, we're at a point in, in history and time where we can really take advantage of all of the different technology available to tell these stories. Uh, how did you uh, how did you see that with this project? Well, I'm I'm very grateful to have come already into such a, a crack team of actual filmmakers at the Augustine Institute, and and not just because they're Catholics, but generally because they're great filmmakers. We have such amazing talent, and not just in our just our studios team, but thereafter. But as a result, um, it's just a utilization of of modern sensibilities, right? That are bringing about the great truths of our faith. So, you know, there's a lot of drone shots that we've used. There's a lot of, of cranes, right? And there's a lot of careful selection of camera lenses and angles and lighting is obviously a huge deal to me. Mm. I think that as Catholics, as we progress, we have a duty really to show the beauty of our faith in the best way possible. Amen. Now all these tools of Hollywood are, are, are affordable really for the independent kind of crowd. And so I think that kind of just shucking it up to the fact that because it's a Catholic film, we can kind of get away with cutting corners <laughs> of that. That's not going to cut it. And that's, that's actually, I think, a very great detriment to our faith. Uh, the church is built around the beauty of, of, of the craft, right? Then the beauty of, of the human ability to, to just shape things as God has deigned, right? With the mind, right? With, with our faith and reason. And so I think that there's so many elements, uh, technologically and, and certainly by cinematic qualities in this film that are in the series that I think a lot of people will, again, uh, glean onto. Praise be to God. So Death and Dying, that's going to drop on All Souls Day. and uh, where can Eternal people... Rest, close. Oh, Eternal Rest. <laughs> uh, my apologies. Yeah, changed title, yeah. <laughs> my apologies, Augustine Institute. Uh, well, uh, how do people watch it? Yeah, so of course, if you have forms or if a parish or if a parish adjacent to has formed, that's probably going to be the most widespread way you can watch it. Of course, there'll be DVDs available as well. Um, I don't know if later on the road it'll get a YouTube release or anything like that, like we've done with a couple episodes of The Search. But uh, formed is probably going to be the best way to watch it. And I would recommend you should have a formed subscription anyway. It's very easy. It's free for most people. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan Pacheco from the Augustine Institute for joining us this morning for your generous time. And speaking of All Souls Day, uh, we're going to be talking about these uh, very special days that are coming up this weekend. Halloween, All Souls Day, All Saints Day. Don't go away. Right after this break, Father Rock joins us. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to get along with your family? That sometimes the people in your family are downright uncongenial? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that is precisely why the family is so important. Because it is often uncongenial. Every family is filled with the same problematical people that you find everywhere else. And so anyone revolting against the family is simply revolting against mankind. As Chesterton says, Aunt Elizabeth is unreasonable, like mankind. Papa is excitable, like mankind. Our youngest brother is mischievous, like mankind. And so, if we can get along with our family, we can get along with anyone. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. 
Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And here's a couple more headlines for you today. Reuters reports, former U.S. military pilot who worked in China arrested in Australia and faces extradition. Australian Federal Police arrested Daniel Edmund Duggan, who's 54 on Friday in the rural town of Orange in, South New, uh, in New South Wales. rather, And he appeared in court there on the same day. Court records show and uh, two police officers, uh, two police sources, and his lawyer confirmed. The arrest came the same week that Britain warned dozens of former military pilots to stop working in China or face persecution, prosecution rather, on national security grounds under new laws. Australia is also investigating reports. Uh, some of its own former pilots have been approached to work in China. Catholic News Agency reports, in effort to help the persecuted, Hungary offers scholarships for young Christians around the world. A Hungarian official has welcomed Christian scholarship students from around the world to Budapest and stressed the importance of helping persecuted Christians, saying Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. More than 300 million Christians are persecuted and discriminated against because of their faith, Azbej said on October 20th. I believe it's pronounced Azbej. Azbej is the Hungarian State Secretary for the Aid of Persecuted Christians and is responsible for the Hungary Helps Agency. Addressing the opening ceremony of the annual scholarship program for Christian youth, Azbej recalled that his grandparents' generation had lived through world wars and his parents' generation had lived through anti-clerical, anti-religious, and anti-Christian communist dictatorship. The scholarship program for Christian young people was founded in 2017 by the Hungarian government. The scholarship holders can participate in a wide range of education programs taught in English, such as medical and health sciences, engineering, architecture, social science, economics, agriculture, arts and humanities, and information technology. The program offers approximately 300 courses at 14 universities in Hungary, covering all higher education fields at all degrees offered from bachelor to doctoral level. Praise be to God. That's good news. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Now, joining us via Zoom is Father Rock. He's the associate pastor at Regina Chaley here in Houston. And uh, I thought it was time for us to shake off those cobwebs because every year it seems we... Uh, we get the question, right? Well, what about Halloween? Is Halloween really Catholic? Can we celebrate it? Can we participate in it? And to debunk some of those myths and to talk about uh, Halloween and All Souls Day and All Saints Day, we have Father Rock. Thank you so much for joining us today for this morning and, and for your generous time. Uh, how are you, Father Good Rock? Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Praise be to God. So I got to ask the question, what about Halloween? Should Catholics participate in it? Yes, I think they absolutely should. It's uh, deeply rooted in our own liturgical heritage, and I think it's time that we recognize that and not be afraid to embrace the patrimony of our forefathers. Now, I, I think that, uh, you know, there, there's been a history of people saying Halloween is bad. For example, the evangelicals um, have always considered Halloween to be something bad. And, and I think it stems from this... Uh, this notion that they had bad information about ho what Halloween actually was. So can we talk a little bit about the roots of Halloween, the Catholic roots about Halloween? Sure, absolutely. So I think it's important maybe just to start with the name. When we say Halloween, it's a contraction mm. of Hallow's Eve, which itself is short for All Hallow's Eve, which means so it's the day before All Hallows, just like Christmas Eve is the day before 
Christmas. And the question is, so what is hollows? And we're you know, familiar with this word from the Our Father, where it says, hallowed be thy name, mm-hmm. meaning your name be holy, may your name be sanctified. And so hallowed, those that are hallowed are the saints in heaven. So All Hallows' Eve is the day before the Feast of All Hallows, or as we would know it here as the Feast of All Saints. And so that's the sort of origin of, of the name, and it would have been liturgically, historically, a day of penance. So all these vigils, when we talk about vigils here, we mean not, um, as is commonly used today, a mass in anticipation of. So normally when we think of vigil, we think of the mass Saturday night for Sunday, um, but technically, that's more of an anticipated mass. Traditionally, the word vigil would have been a day of penance before a feast. Mm. So, again, going back to uh, Christmas Eve, liturgically, it's called the vigil of the Nativity of Our Lord. It would have been a day of fasting and abstinence. There would have been by the vestments, and it would have been this sort of poor preparation for this upcoming feast. And we see this... Um, Throughout the 1962 calendar, so as a member of the Fraternity of St. Peter, we celebrate according to the traditional liturgical books. Mm. And so we have vigils like this throughout the year. There's a vigil of, for example, St. Peter and Paul, the vigil of St. John the Baptist. And so this vigil of All Hallows, of All Saints, would have been a day of penance with fasting and abstinence. It would have had its own mass and divine office celebrated in violet. And in the 1960 or 1917 code, it would have been considered a day of fasting and abstinence. Hmm. And it was held up until 1955 when this liturgical celebration was actually suppressed. I see. Uh, you know, Father, the uh, one thing that, you know, we people are thinking about when they see think Halloween, they think, OK, well, yeah, OK, we, I understand Catholics should celebrate Halloween in the sense of All Hallows Eve and celebrating that. But what about the way the secular culture celebrates Halloween? Can can Catholics or should Catholics uh, participate in that aspect of it? And if not, then how should uh, we as Catholics celebrate Halloween? Um, certainly going to Mass, uh, praying in the office uh, are definitely options. Uh, but what would you recommend to the average layperson? How should uh, they approach uh, the celebration of Halloween? So if we look into the history of these practices, in addition to um, All Hallows' Eve being a time of preparation and penance, it was also seen as a time for charity, especially to the poor. And this would result in the faithful giving out food alms of Mm -hmm. what was available at that season. So things like apples, nuts, pears, those type of foods. And this practice would eventually lead into a little bit of what they would call misrule. Um, where basically anyone was allowed into the house and allowed to demand food. And we would see this kind of similar practice around the older celebrations of Christmas and Epiphany, where people would dress up and there'd be a little relaxation of the social rules. And so we would see around um, Halloween where they would dress up or just kind of hide their uh, appearance to sort of break down the social norms where everyone just kind of pretended they didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. And they would wear these basically just covering their face, and they would be called guisings or murmurings, mummings, mummings. And they would go about from house to house demanding these treats and threatening a little bit of violence if they didn't get it. And so we can see how that would eventually lead to the celebration of the trick-or-treating and the dressing up for it. And also associated with that is the presentation of what are called soul cakes. They'd be these little cakes that were made, and you'd have children go from house to house singing these little songs asking for soul cakes, 
And then when they were receiving, they would promise to pray for the departed of that household. So again, we can kind of see how that would tie in with the idea of trick-or-treating. And the geysers, those who were sort of hiding themselves, even though everybody knew who they were, but again, for that little bit of misrule and fun on the, the holiday, um, they would carry around seeing vegetables carved in various shapes holding candles, which are seen to be the origin of jack-o'-lanterns. And as far as we can tell um, from the actual history, that these are all post-pagan and Christian invention, again, growing out of that Christian idea of charity and a little bit of relaxation before we enter into uh, these holy days. And again, this is something we see around Christmas and Epiphany Tide also. Hmm. So uh, I guess it begs the question, you know, uh, these um, these practices obviously followed the the uh, a Christian identity, a Catholic identity. You know, this is when when the culture was Catholic, and and nowadays we see. <clears throat> I, I I I would like to participate in these sorts of things sometimes, but I, I wonder if I should because of how corrupted some of these images have become that are associated with Halloween. I mean, just like the, the, the ghoulishness of, of Halloween. So I, I guess it begs the question, Father, uh, what do you think in, in our modern sensibilities, you know, should we participate in these sorts of things? I think we should participate, but I think the way to do it would probably be to gather together with like-minded Catholics. Mm. Um, as you said, the sort of the modern culture, the way it's celebrated, especially in the United States, I would say is a perversion, a mm. uh, departure of what it was traditionally. And we want to protect especially our young from what they see out there, different costumes, which are either immodest or ghoulish, um, and also just this sort of grotesqueness that's about in the culture. So I think it would be beneficial if like-minded Catholics would come together and there can be costumes that are, again, modest and fitting, um, not necessarily saints. You can dress up as saints, but you don't dress up as superheroes as long as it's kind of, uh, you know, not uh, immodest and not ghoulish. And get together and have this kind of idea of we were preparing for the feast day, um, and we can look at the traditional foods, so again, like apples, pears, nuts, berries, and things like that. There can be the soul cakes, I think, would be a very good way of marking the day. Um, and pumpkin carving and using the innards for pies or seeds or whatever. And so I think things like that where Catholics gather together is important. I would be very cautious about just rejecting it all together mm. because a vacuum is dangerous. Man can't flourish in a vacuum and we need something to grow up. And it's one thing to recognize that there's something wrong with the culture and to kind of reject it, but you need to fill it with something else. And so Amen. I think the way to fill it again would be to gather together with like-minded Catholics and to be Axes of our forefathers. Praise be to God. All right, right after this break, we're going to get into the uh, the origins of Halloween and talk about uh, All Souls Day and what we can do to uh, prepare ourselves for those holy days as well. Don't go away. More Catholic Drive Time right after this break with Father Rock. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early Church Fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And right before the break, we were talking about whether or not Catholics should participate in Halloween. And Father Rock, you gave some some really great advice there. I, I love what you said, you know, we can't function in a vacuum. You know, we have to be in the culture, but not of the culture. And I, I think that's a great reminder for us when it comes to these holidays that have been secularized. Actually, they had roots in, in Christian culture, and I thank you for bringing that up. But I wanted to talk about this myth, right? I mean, we hear it all the time, including with, uh, with Easter. You know, every Easter rolls around, and you'll see op-eds, you'll see articles online that will say, oh, well, actually, Easter's a pagan holiday, and it was appropriated by Christians. Uh, what would you say to, to people who have the same critique about Halloween? Well, I'd say if we look at the historical record, it just doesn't work. Um, Part of the problem, uh, especially with Halloween, goes back to bad scholarship in the 1600s, especially mm. work by a Geoffrey Keating in his History of Ireland. At the time it was published, it was recognized by scholars at the time that it was just, to put it lightly, bad scholarship. But it became very widely read and became the foundation for sort of everything going forward. And it was picked up by Protestant polemics, and what he wrote just became the general assumption of the history of especially Halloween in this case. But if we look at the actual historical record and the liturgical documents and all the things that we have, we realize exactly what it was, is that it was bad scholarship that just kind of became the standard. And as they kind of say, you know, the lie makes it around the world before the truth sort of gets out the door. Huh. And that's sort of the case with, with this. Um, so, again, it's become just kind of the assumption that all these things are pagan. Um, with even by some Catholic scholars, they don't really question it. But if you actually do dive into the resource and the history, you realize, no, there's a lot more there. And it's actually a lot more Catholic than uh, we're normally led on to believe. Amen. Yeah, that's why we can't just ignore these things, because uh, it's good for us to take them back. And, and they belong to us. I think they, they do a great good for, for, for souls, especially if we talk about the, the tritium of Halloween, which, uh, Adrian, I think you wanted to, to ask about that. Uh, yes, the you know we during this time period you know we have a huge celebration and the sad thing is because of the culture we we celebrate Halloween and we celebrate it typically perversely and then we forget about what Halloween is supposed to be leading for so no one celebrates All Saints Day no one celebrates All Souls Day I know a lot of Catholic festivals they are they're doing uh, All Saints Day festivals I know Regina Chaley did one last week um, my parish will be doing one next week. 
this coming week, and and parishes all over the country are doing so as well. But uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, this like triduum of celebration for souls. Right. So it would have started on the 31st on All Hallows Eve. And like I said, it would have been liturgically a day of fasting and abstinence. And the fasting would have lasted until noon. So we say about three o'clock in the afternoon when historically penitential masses would have been said. So again, this mass would have been celebrated in violet. And then after that, the fasting could be broken and uh, sort of reaching into what we talked about with the different foods. You could then sort of break the fast, enjoy these foods. And then there would have been first vespers of the Feast of All Saints. And then All Saints would be a day of holy, it's a holy day of obligation. So obviously there's the obligation to go to Mass and abstain from the servile labor that goes along with that. But it is a time to remember um, that there is more to the church than just what we see here on earth. That there is this church triumphant with all the saints reigning. And it's to honor them and sort of bring them to mind that we celebrate the feast day. And also looking ahead to our hopeful final destination, cooperating with God and persevering to the end. And then the third day is the Feast of All, All Souls, which is dedicated to prayers and suffrages to relieve the sufferings of the souls in purgatory so they can then enter into the church triumphant. And so these three days, they go together. And it's interesting, I, I saw this in one of the articles I was reading, that we look at the traditional colors of Halloween, we see that there's actually a tie-in with these liturgies. So All Hallows Eve would have been violet. Uh, all Saints would have been gold or white. All Hollow or All Souls is black. And then just autumn is sort of the autumn, the orange color. So these all kind of tie together in the colors we generally associate with, with Halloween. They all, they and, all go together. And Father, on uh, the Feast of All Souls Day, the, the priest, correct me if I'm wrong, is allowed to say three masses that day, which is peculiar correct that's correct um this this practice although only goes back to world war one so prior to that they would have only said one mass but it was during world war one because of all the dead that the pope allowed three masses to be said um and the only time this happens traditionally or in the 62 books which again we follow as members of the trinity of saint peter the traditional roman liturgical books you could only say three masses on all Souls after World War One and uh, Christmas. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Another interesting thing, Father, you know, I was reading an article put out by 1 Peter 5 on Halloween versus the world. And an interesting point they mentioned, you know, it just ties this whole thing about the about hollow tide. And they said, quote, hollow tide is not a time where hell has more power, as many pagans believe, but just the opposite. Hell faces heaven's fury in a particular way as more graces are made available to the faithful, such as the graces of the holy day and the plenary indulgences for the poor souls in purgatory. Hell, then, through the fallen world, which embraces Satan and the occult, would love to distract Christians away from these graces and towards fear and the fright of hopeless death. Uh, could you, uh, what, did, what do you think about that little section of this uh, article about uh, hell not having more power, and that's what the pagans want us to believe, but also the, the idea of indulgences and the, the hope for heaven? No, I think those are good points to bring up. And one of the things that, while not part of the All Hallows Triduum, is very well tied to, which is the traditional feats of Christ the King. 
So in, in the new calendar, the Feast of Christ the King is last Sunday of the liturgical year. But in the traditional calendars, and when this feast was originally promulgated, it was the, the Sunday right before All Hallows Tide. So you would have Christ the King, so Christ victorious, reigning over all of creation, and then followed by this triduum. So that kind of sets the mindset that you have going into it, which is Christ is triumphant, and the church is triumphant. Hmm. And that is sort of the flavor, if you will, that's carried forward into uh, the rest of these days. Now, regarding the indulgences, so the church does allow or grant special indulgences from the first to the eighth day of November. Um, if you go and say certain prayers uh, for the departed, they can earn indulgences, which releases or helps to release the souls from purgatory by helping paying off some of the debt that they have acquired through the temporal punishments of the sins that they committed during life, which they didn't remit on their own. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to show the communion of saints, how we're all sort of in this together. We all help each other. No one gets to heaven alone. We all support each other. And this is a way where really by what we do here on earth will affect those in the church suffering, allow them to enter more quickly into glory, and then hopefully in turn pray for us with even greater fervor once they're enjoying the beatific vision. Praise be to Thank God. I, I love that you brought that up because, you know, the, the holy souls in, in purgatory is it's something that we often forget, I think. Uh, and I, I think of uh, all of those forgotten souls who are, are suffering. They have been forgotten by their family, and uh, their legacy is completely gone. So nobody really knows who these people are anymore. But we have this wonderful opportunity to take on uh, the, these prayers, to participate in what the church has allowed us to, to uh, remit some of those those temporal punishments. It's a, a, a very charitable thing to do on these days. What what exactly are the the, the prayers that we can do uh, from the, the start of November to the 8th? Uh, let me see if I can just bring that up real quick. Well, while Father brings that up, yeah. you know, one thing that uh, we had our friend Kim Sunderman, she had commented about what she does on Halloween. And if you want to join us for the after show in about 35 minutes or so, you can join us online on our social media feeds and we can talk more about what you do for your uh, celebration of Halloween. She said at the Catholic Charismatic Center there, you go to a charismatic church with the Companions of the Cross here in Houston, and uh, but they're all over America. She said, we have passed out scripture cards, Catholic cards, and candy, Ooh, and they dress nice. up as saints, uh, not demonic demons or witches. And I think, yeah, things like that, like having an element where, you know, you still have the candy, you still have the dressing up aspect of it, but you you sanctify it. I think those are great ideas. Uh, but, Father, if you found it, uh, let us know. Uh, yes. So um, from the 1st, the 8th of November, a plenary indulgence applicable only to the poor souls in purgatory is granted to those who visit the cemetery and pray, even if only mentally for the departed, provided the user conditions are met for the indulgence. Uh, partial indulgences are granted to those who recite laws or vespers of the office of the dead and to those who recite the eternal rest prayer. Um, only one plenary indulgence may be granted each day, but a partial indulgence may be granted more than once a day. And then on All Souls Day itself, a plenary indulgence for the poor souls can be granted for those who visit any parish, church, or public oratory, and they recite one Our Father and one Apostles' Creed. And on that day, the cemetery visit is not required. Wow. So it seems pretty simple enough, as long as you meet the standard conditions, which actually aren't very simple sometimes. Uh, you know, I think one of the, the really difficult things to, uh, to, to get beyond is this uh, attachment to venial sin, and I think uh, that's a very difficult thing to do. But in any case... 
you're welcome to try. And and this is a great way for you to pray for those holy souls in purgatory. Uh, speaking of uh, of listener feedback here, we do have another question for you, Father Rock. This one's from our, our friend uh, Nick. And he's wondering, how did the church determine the date of All Saints and All Souls Day? Do you happen to know that? So it's complicated, and we don't really know. Uh, so there's different theories of why it ended up being up on the first. Some attribute it to something that was going on in England. Some attribute it to things that were going on in the Germanic lands. Hmm. Um, some say it goes back to when Pope Gregory III, who was reigning about the 730s A.D., dedicated a chapel in St. Peter's Basilica in honor of the Holy Savior, of his Blessed Mother, the Holy Apostles, of all the Holy Martyrs, Confessors, and Perfect Just, proposed throughout the world. But we don't really know. But what we do know is that at that time, it wasn't being celebrated at that date in Ireland. Hmm. So part of this whole history thing is that, well, the church chose this date to counteract this pagan feast going on in Ireland. Hmm. The problem with that, so while it's true that there is this pagan feast that kind of falls around the same time, is that at this time when England and the continent, the European continent, were celebrating all saints on November 1st and then putting the Hallows Eve the day before, the Irish Christians were keeping their Feast of All Saints on April 20th. And so completely different part of the year. And it wasn't until the Irish church conformed to what was going on in the rest of Europe, or at least Western Europe, that it fell with this pagan holiday but it was basically by accident, not by design. Well, praise be to God. Thank you so much for joining us, Father Rock. Thank you for, for your generous time this morning and uh, informing us about Halloween and why we should, we should participate in it. It's definitely, participate in it, rather. But it's been a, a lot of uh, great conversation here this morning, and I just want to thank you. And, dear listener, I ask you, consider taking on Halloween, making it Catholic, and uh, celebrating in our patrimony. Praise be to God. That's going to do it for this hour. Coming up in this other hour, we're going to be talking about David Delighton and uh, how it's time for us to stand up for our faith. Don't go away. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, host of The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's The Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your megachurch, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, 
I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know. And now in these past couple of years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox, goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Hey, this is Wayne from Ascension Chinese Mission, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ, Houston's Catholic radio station, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Good to be here. God is so good to give us this opportunity to be on Catholic radio this morning. If you missed our conversations uh, from the past hour, we had Jordan Pacheco from the Augustine Institute talking about this uh, project that they're working on. It's called uh, Eternal Rest, Death and Dying. And it's a project four-part series on uh, on what it takes to die, to die in a, a, in a state of grace and uh, what awaits us there. You can check that out on forumed.org. And uh, you can also check out the uh, the podcast feed of our, our program at uh, GRN online forward slash CDT. You can listen to that conversation. You can also listen to the conversation we just had with Father Rock. He's the uh, associate pastor at Regina Chaley here in Houston. And we talked about Halloween debunking the myths of Halloween and why Catholics should participate in it. And uh, I think he made a pretty good case. I think, uh, I think uh, it's going to be fantastic if you spend Halloween with other Catholics because uh, then you can control some of the variables there. You don't have any of these crazy costumes, macabre things, and all that sort of thing. You could truly make it a, a Catholic uh, holiday. But uh, it reminded me of uh, all of those different years that I dressed up and uh, – I think the best costume I ever had, which I'm ashamed to say, oh no, I'm scared. Was uh, have you have you all ever seen that uh, Hellboy series? Yeah. Yeah. So I made a gigantic Hellboy arm thing. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but uh, for y'all who don't know, Hellboy, I don't recommend. Is this. exactly what it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend it's, the series. A, it was a it's comic a demon. book. Yeah. yeah, it's a comic book. I I read it and it was like uh, redeemed or something. Yeah, it's like it's a whole thing. thing. It's like a demon come <clears throat> to earth. It, it doesn't make theologically it's absolute nonsense. It's, it's complete nonsense. Yeah. Like <laughs> but it's comics. a pretty cool costume though. You made yeah, the I, arm. I, I made yeah. the arm. Wow. I had a, a leather jacket. I painted my whole self red. What? I had these like uh, no devil foam horns. devil horn things. That's insane. Yeah, and that's uh, terrible. But it really took cool. hours. It took hours to do it for a party that I was at for I don't know. 10, 15 minutes. I did. I never dressed up as anything bad for <laughs> Halloween. I was the Flash. Of, oh, I was nice. Indiana Jones. Uh, one year, my my ex and myself, we went to a Halloween party dressed as Mary Poppins and Bert. Oh. Um, we did that. Who's Bert? Uh, he's the the guy who did the win, the window sweeper. Oh, got it. Uh, the chimney sweeper, rather. Um, and then another year, I dressed up as... Um, Oh, what's the name of the character? The character from the the musical Wicked or um, Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. Um, so the yeah, so that that kind of thing. So I never dress up anything like that. No, uh, Brent, did, Brent you did you ever dress up for Halloween? Man, when I'm I'm old enough, when I was a kid, everybody dressed <laughs> up for Halloween. So what were you? What's your most memorable costume? You know, I don't remember a whole lot about that. But what I do remember is the age when I stopped. You know, about the time you go from. Uh, grade school. When I was a kid, it wasn't middle school. It was junior high. Really? And uh, 
I remember talking to a friend of mine uh, when we were getting to that age, and he was saying, no, he wasn't going to go to Halloween, and that was probably the last time I did that. I heard from a very reputable source that your favorite costume was in the year that you dressed up as an attorney. <laughs> you know how kids, they dress up as like cops and firefighters because they want to be cops and firefighters. I, I heard that you dressed up as an attorney. Well, I think in the, you know, I'm a member of the ordinariate, which, which of course passes on the Anglican patrimony. I think in the ordinariate, if you want to dress up as somebody frightening, you dress up as Henry VIII. So <laughs> <laughs> if you want to dress up as something frightening, you dress up as Cramner. He was the one or killing and everyone. Cramner, both yeah. of them. Ooh, that's right. right. He was the one killing everyone. Yeah. But no, no, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's really interesting though that you mentioned that about um you know at a certain age you were like you know not dressing up for Halloween anymore, and you know I look back at myself and and I'm I'm only 24 years old so it's not that long ago for me and I'm like <laughs> and I'm like looking at myself in college I'm like. Did I really need to be dressing up for Halloween in college? Now, granted, it's like not like I dressed up as something really like a Power Ranger or something like that. <laughs> I was like wearing a suit because you know I'm dressed up as a character from a that's an adult. But at the same time, like, how long are we going to be children? Like, we have these adult Halloween parties and everybody goes well, and dresses up, and I get it. Yeah. There's some fun about element of it. My parents went to one and they dressed up as like a flapper and. Uh, and a mob boss or something like that. I don't know, something <laughs> like that. They're dressed up in suits. And, and, and yeah, I get the kind of fun of it. But at the same time, there's like a perpetual adolescence. We talked about this on Monday. Yeah. But, yeah. That was a good conversation. Well, you know, you all uh, aren't old enough to remember this. And this just based on my perception. Do we have any older listeners out there? Maybe they can, you know, chime in but on social media. But just my impression is, at least from when I was a, kid and as a young adult mm -hmm. is that Halloween was mostly a children's holiday. Yeah. And that it really seemed to take off as a an adult event, an adult social event um, toward the end of, you know, the 1900s there and, and the beginning part of this century, just within the really the last 20 or 25 years or so. Now, I'm not always sure, to be fair, I'm not always sure that it's perpetual adolescence or a childhood thing, because remember, uh, masquerade parties have always been a, an acceptable uh, type of a social event. Right. I think the problem, of course, is with Halloween, we get into that spiritual aspect that leads to all these other problems that you know, we've already discussed last hour. Yeah, it can distract from, from what the, the holy days are actually for. Uh, but in any case, if you want to share what your particular best costume was, make sure to join us on our social feeds, uh, especially in the next half hour or so. Once we got off the uh, the air here, we're going to go to our after show, and you can join us and interact with us live. You're welcome to do that. All of the links are online at grnonline forward slash cdt. And as we mentioned before, there's a lot of headlines out there, and it's hard to get through all of them. But uh, here's one that I found pretty concerning, and I know it's going to be a little bit concerning for yourself. The time is coming for us to really speak out and to be firm and fervent in what we believe, to be real, authentic Christians. I know that's basically the same thing, real and authentic. But it's time for us to be authentic Christians, not just on Sundays, but in everything that we do. And we have to be prepared for the persecution that is going to come for us standing up to do what is right and what is true. And here's an article from Life News 
Uh, LifeNews.com is a wonderful website. I suggest you check it out if you're not familiar with it. It's a uh, it's a wonderful pro-life website, so you can get all of your pro-life news from here. It's it's wonderful. And uh, they have this article here, and the headline goes, Court forces David DeLayden to pay $2.4 million for exposing Planned Parenthood aborted baby part sales. This guy got railroaded for exposing the truth that Planned Parenthood was selling aborted baby parts. Kind of like uh, in a very different way, and I think we're going to have this conversation tomorrow. It's actually an interesting thing to look at. Alex Jones, some of you might think, oh, he's just a conspiracy theorist. He's a crazy guy. Well, he's being forced to pay like a billion dollars for just uh, saying something that he believed in. This is a, a, a fundamental breach of the First Amendment. And uh, so back to this article here on, on uh, David Delighton. He's being forced to pay $2.4 million for exposing something simple and insidious that Planned Parenthood was participating in baby part sales. The article goes, a federal appeals court ruled against David Delighton and the Center for Medical Progress on Friday, rejecting most of their appeal, challenging a $2.4 million fine for their undercover investigation of Planned Parenthood and its aborted baby body parts harvesting practices. You might wonder to yourself, you might think, oh, well, maybe he shouldn't have done this undercover investigation. It does more harm than good. Well, let's put a, a pause on that and continue with this article here. Reuters reports a panel of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals rejected the argument that the undercover investigation is protected under the First Amendment freedom of the press. In 2019, a federal judge sided with Planned Parenthood in a case accusing Delighton and other undercover investigators with the Center for Medical Progress of illegally uh, creating a fake company, fake IDs, and recording its employees without their permission. The judge awarded the abortion chain $2.4 million plus $13 million in fees. I, I think those fees have something to do with uh, the court fees, uh, attorney fees, and that sort of thing. Delighton and his lawyers are challenging the $13 million in a separate appeal, according to Reuters. Now, Delighton and CMP appealed, but the Ninth Circuit Court rejected most of their arguments this week. This is what you get, dear listener. This is what you get when you speak out for the truth these days. This is the crazy world that we're living in, that we have to participate in. We have to be part of the world, but not of the world, because when you're of the world, this is normal. There are people out there, and it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to wrap my head around this, but there are people out there who hold that belief that this is completely justified, that this man be fined $2.4 million, and their vote counts just as much as mine. Well, I mean, we know this as Catholics, that it's, it's morally corrupt. It's morally bankrupt, just to, to put it kindly. The things that Planned Parenthood has done over the years of their existence. The systematic murder of children. And we just kind of, we let it happen. And when you speak out against it, you get fined $2.4 million. You get railroaded. Your entire life just completely gets ruined. Now, according to, uh, to Reuters, uh, Justice Ronald Gold said that the First Amendment does not protect illegal activity, and there is an established principle that the pursuit of journalism does not give a license to break laws of general applicability. Um, 
Brent, since you you work in law, I mean, what do you think about this particular ruling? I mean, it, it's it seems to me that it's pretty clear cut. You know, maybe maybe some of the tactics we could talk about uh, being mm, sketchy. You know, maybe he shouldn't have done this in secret. But otherwise, how would the truth have come out? Is this protected by the First Amendment? Well, that's the heart of the issue. Um, and just to remind everybody of what happened, because it's been a while. This started years ago. Uh, David DeLauden and, and several other pro-life activists wanted to investigate Planned Parenthood and wanted to expose them for um, allegedly selling fetal tissue from their abortions to medical researchers, which is sadly, you know, illegal under federal or is illegal under federal law. Um, now, obviously, Planned Parenthood isn't going to grant journalists, especially pro-life activists who are trying to engage in journalism, interviews and go on the record and talk about all of this. Right. Yeah. So they did a what you might call a Project Veritas type of uh, effort mm-hmm. where they used undercover recordings. But it was a very elaborate program that they set up. They set up a uh, they set up a company or what might be called a false company. Um, they got fake driver's licenses and they presented themselves using fake driver's licenses, fake names. I think one man did use his name for one, his real name for one purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they also uh, signed confidentiality agreements and non, non-disclosure agreements uh, and also agreements where they said they would not record. And so what's happened in this case is the Ninth Circuit has looked at this and has said, as the article summarized, and as you just pointed out, they've said, look, it's not a matter of targeting journalists. But the law does not allow journalists some special privilege to break other laws just in the name of journalism or just in the name of the First Amendment. Mm. So the Ninth Circuit is saying, look, you can go commit, you can go do journalism, but you can't use fake driver's licenses to uh, lure people into talking and then to record them secretly and then to violate contracts that you have signed. But let me push back on that a little bit, because there are laws for journalists to be able to uh, publish documents that may have come to them uh, in illicit means. Uh, wouldn't that have applied to this particular situation? And in fact, it uh, David DeLauden and the pro-life advocates argued that, and the opinion addresses that in part, not, not extensively, but it addresses that. And it says, for example, that on some of the damages, Planned Parenthood would have sued even if the information had not been published. Mm. Planned Parenthood was awarded uh, security damages for the cost of you know, upgrading their security. They were awarded what is called infiltration damages because they were infiltrated. Wow. Um, and the court says, look, Planned Parenthood would have sued anyway. So it's not really the publication of the information because that is right. I mean, you have the right instincts. Mm. Uh, it's uh, it's a matter of how they got the information that they published. Well, in any case, the time is here. We have to stand, and we have to we have to speak for the truth. We have to wise wise as uh, as uh, serpents in the way that we do it. But in any case, that's going to do it for this segment. And coming up after the break, we have our game show, Fear and Trembling, where prizes are at stake, and you can call right now to participate in that game, one 757 9424 
In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But as members of the body of Christ, he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2.19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations 19, 16. Scripture says that we have only one judge, Jesus Christ, James 4, verse 12. But Scripture tells us there is more than one judge, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Contradictions in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. Jesus is the only foundation, Jesus is the only Lord, and Jesus is the only judge. But we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore, we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. I am Joe McClain. I identify as Joe McClain now. I'm going to be usurping his name, his identity, his job. Just kidding. This is Rudy Carlos, and I'm filling in for Joe McClain, and it's time for our game show, Fear and Trembling. And you could be the contestant today. You can go into the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence up to three times for our prize drawing this week. And I'll get to the prize in just a minute, but first, we do need a caller, so please call us right now, one 757 9424 The phone lines are completely open at the moment, and it's it's time for you to take your shot at today at, at this week's game show prize, which uh, I'll reveal in just a minute. But we need a caller one eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four. Now you might be wondering to yourself, oh, it's so I don't know, I I just don't have the voice for radio. I I can't call in. I'm scared. I I'm driving and I can't do it. Well, I assure you, dear listener, I know you're out there. It's quite easy to call at one 757 9424 Adrian Fonseca is on the phone. He's uh, waiting for your call right now. And the game show works like this. You don't have to fear. Well, maybe you do. It's fear and trembling. Maybe you, do. Maybe you fear and tremble just a little bit. 
But you don't have to know the answers because what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Brent Haynes, attorney Brent Haynes. I should uh, remember your title there, Brent. My, my apologies. Mea culpa. And I'm going to ask Adrian Fonseca. And one of them is going to give us the correct answer. Another one is going to give us the incorrect answer. And all you have to do is discern which one is telling the truth and which one is being sneaky. Now, I'm in the position now where I can say I am uh, I'm on your team. I'm on your side. I am no longer Tricky Rudy, as they call me. But I would be a little concerned about Brent Haynes, you know. You know what they say about liars. I mean lawyers. Uh, Brent's a little tricky there. So just a fair warning. Well, in any case, this is how the game show works. Uh, and it seems like we got a call on the line here. So I'm going to tell you about this week's prize. Now, at the start of the week, I told you, it's going to be a surprise. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what it, what it is. Actually, I'm going, to take my own, I'm going to take my own advice. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Because I was inspired by these grab bags, right? You, you pay a certain amount of money, and you go and get a grab bag, and you don't know what's in there, and it's a complete surprise. Well, I'm not going to reveal today what the prize is, but I can assure you, it is going to be wonderful, and you're going to love it. I'm going to reveal it on Friday, so the day after tomorrow, praise be to God, I think we have somebody on the line. Christine and her son Sergio is on Christine from San Antonio, Texas, the great St. Anthony, the city of St. Anthony. Very good. Christine and Sergio, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Nice, nice. And uh, what are you up to this morning? Going to school. Going to school. Going to school. Praise be to God. Sergio, what grade are you in? Uh, sixth. Sixth grade. Sixth grade. Wow. Man, he's old now. He's a biggin. Wow. I'm, Sergio, what what uh, what school do you go to? Uh, Wood Middle School. Wood Middle School. What's your favorite subject? Uh, science. 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 You got a scientist Very good. here. Good. Oh my goodness! You know you gotta you gotta uh, pray to Saint Albert the Great, papal ah, saint, yes. a scientist. He was a Dominican friar, the teacher of Saint Thomas Aquinas. Is a uh, good person to uh, have a devotion to. Maybe maybe consider him for a future confirmation saint. Maybe. Mm. <laughs> Adrian, who's the saint that you pray to before tests? Uh, that is Saint Joseph of Cupertino. Ah, my boy, Saint, saint Joseph, Joseph Cupertino. Cupertino. He All got right. me through college. Well, Sergio, you might consider praying to St. Joseph of Cupertino because we're going to begin our game show. Sergio, are you ready? Do you know how the, the game works? Yes. All right. Well, then I'm going to start with Brent Haynes today. Brent, good morning to you. Good morning. I love that yellow tie that you wear. You're just I'm trying in, to make I'm up Joe's for position. calling me a, a tricky lawyer. Uh, oh, 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 that. Uh, sorry about that. I'm in a position I could talk about people's ties now. Uh, yeah, you're wearing a yellow tie. Sir, uh, Sergio, you ought to make a note of that there. I don't know what that means. But, uh, Brent, I'm going to ask you this. What is destroyed when the Pope dies? Well, you know, the Popes, they don't have a lot of personal possessions. Really? Everything is provided for them by the church, of course. It's not that they necessarily take a vow of poverty, oh. but... You know, the church issued excuse. Well, you know, Sergio might remember if he's seen any of the old videos or pictures from days gone by, you hardly see it anymore. But popes used to be carried around in a throne or a chair. And they did that so that they could be held up high and people in the crowd could see them. Hmm. And the first thing that is destroyed after a pope dies is his throne or his chair. Oh, wow. 
What a tragedy. Because every pope gets his own special chair. I mean, that's some good furniture right there. All right. Sergio, Brent says chair, but let's take a look at what Adrian has to say. Adrian, what is destroyed when a pope dies? Well, yes, as uh, you know, someone who identifies as having a PhD in pope dying, mm. um, that is a very particular degree. It's very few universities offer that as a uh, PhD. But yes, you they, he, they destroy his official ring. So that way there are no new proclamations can be made because that's also where he uh, signs his documents. He puts his papal seal on it. Huh. Mm-hmm. Do they still do that? Yep. With the wax and everything? Go. Yep, 100%. Still and then they it. seal it? Still do it. And, All right. Uh, they go in and they destroy it. The Car- Carmelingo, I think, is the person who goes in and does that. Can you imagine getting punched by the Pope and getting the seal on your cheek or something? In any case, <laughs> Sergio, you have options here. Brent Haynes says that the throne is destroyed. The papal throne, the one that uh, carries him around. And Adrian says... That it's his gold ring, the fisherman's ring, as some people call it. Sergio, what say you? Uh, the ring. The ring. Are you sure? Let's go! Sergio. Good job, Sergio. He can't be fooled. Sergio is clearly a brilliant young man to, to, go, with, to go with me. You know, he knows he's smart, he's intelligent. Scholarly. Wise beyond years, very handsome. I'm sure the, the girls fawn over him. Sergio, do you have a job yet? No. Sergio, you're in sixth grade. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, exactly. He's like, exactly. (laughs) Just kidding. All right, you're in for one, Sergio, and I'm going to go back to Adrian here. Adrian, for the second question. That's my name to word out. What is the, thank you very much for that. What is the pastoral staff, symbol of the office, carried by the bishop or abbot and shaped like a shepherd's crook? Ah, yes, that would be called a crozier. A crozier and a, a bishop has Sounds it French. facing outward, and it abbot has it facing inward, showing his authority is inside his abbey. Governor abbot? No, no, no. That's a different abbot. Oh, yeah. oh. Okay. Spelled the same though. Okay. All right. Well, Adrian's on the board for crozier. Sounds like a French thing. French name of some sort. And uh, Brent, let me ask you, what is the pastoral staff? symbol of the office carried by the bishop or abbot and shaped like a shepherd's crook it's actually pretty it's actually pretty simple rudy um it's not anything special i think that's why you're trying to be tricky rudy again oh boy it is simply called the sacred staff the sacred staff made out of it's made out of whatever the bishop wants to be made out of traditionally wood Mm. or some sort of of uh you know inlaid precious metal Okay. Well, Brent says it's uh, just a staff. Sacred staff. A sacred sacred staff, staff, some would say. And Adrian says it's the crozier. Sergio, what do you think? Uh, The crozier. Are you sure? Oh, man. He is unfazed. These are too easy, Adrian. Dude, Sergio, these are are hard questions. Sergio's just brilliant. Well, that that could be the other thing. I'm getting getting a little hope for the future of our country. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know if Sergio's an altar boy, if he has any plans that way. Sergio, are you an altar boy? Yeah. Awesome. Praise be to God. Well, you're in for two. And there's a possibility for three here. I'm going to go back to Brent Haynes. Brent, what country hosts the famous Chapel of the Precious Blood? Well, it is one of those countries that historically 
uh, has been very French, like a lot of countries. It's I'm sorry, very very Catholic, like a lot of countries. Mm. Um, it's fallen off. Then I said French. The country is France. Um, France. Yeah, Francois. Uh, uh, the, the the French were historically very very Catholic. Country of baguettes. Parlez-vous uh, Francois? No, je ne parle pas français. Oh, okay. Well then, Adrian. Yes. What country hosts the famous chapel of the Precious Blood? What the, what country hosts the famous chapel of the Precious Blood? Well, that would be the greatest country on earth. Yes, I am talking about the one, the only <laughs> great country, God's country of the Republic of Texas. Uh, you know what? I think you're right. I've seen I've mm-hmm. seen churches with that name. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Sergio, you have options here. Brent says France. And I thought it was Bruges, but it, he says France. And Adrian says the Great Republic of Texas. What say you, Sergio? France. France. Praise Duh. be to Jesus Christ. Duh. Sergio, you are in for three for Duh. this week's prize. Thank you so much for calling. Three Don't for go three. away. Way to go, Sergio. I'm going to put you on hold, and we're going to get your information here so we can make sure to mail that prize to you if we draw you tomorrow, or on Friday. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm thinking it's already Friday. (laughs) I can't wait for Joe to come back. (laughs) Well, in any case, thank you so much for for playing our game show today, and uh, that's going to do it for this hour of Catholic Drive Time. We're going to go into our after show, so if you want to join us and participate in the after show, interact with us live, Please make sure to go to grnonline forward slash cdt, and you're going to see all of the links there for all of our social feeds, be it YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, Facebook, and we would love to have a conversation with you in the after show, so please make sure to check that out. Until tomorrow, may God bless us and Mary Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today is Wednesday of the 30th week in Ordinary Time. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, a virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Christ eleison. Christ eleison. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, Increase our faith, hope, and charity, and make us love what you command, so that we may merit what you promise. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up with the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to your human masters with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not only when being watched as currying favor, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, willingly serving the Lord and not men, knowing that each will be requited from the Lord for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Masters, act in the same way towards them and stop bullying, knowing that both they and you have a master in heaven and that with him there is no partiality. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is faithful in all his words. The Lord is faithful in all his works. Let all your works give you thanks, O Lord, and let your faithful ones bless you. Let them discourse of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. The Lord, the Lord is, is faithful in all his words making known to men your might and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is a kingdom for all ages, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words. The Lord is faithful in all his words and holy in all his works. The Lord lifts up all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord is faithful in all his words. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. 
God has called us through the gospel to possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory <clears throat> to you, O Lord. Jesus passed through towns and villages, teaching as he went and making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He answered them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. After the master of the house has arisen and locked the door, then will you stand outside knocking and saying, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you in reply, I do not know where you are from. And you will say, We ate and drank in your company, and you taught in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and the west, and from the north and the south, and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. For behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Pope Benedict pointed out recently, in the past ten years or so, he said that the modern means of salvation, or the, the great sign of salvation in our age, is the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And many promises uh, have been given to Our Lady for salvation, particularly for salvation. And this is the reason for this is that to have a real adult uh, faith friendship with the Virgin Mary is to know humility. And this is the fundamental uh, disposition to get through the narrow gate. It really is to have a humble and contrite heart. And because this brings about the one thing that cannot be imitated or faked, obedience, the obedience of faith. Obedience is the one virtue that the devil cannot imitate. And it is really the only thing that Jesus required for eternal salvation. He said in another place, uh, But Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick in your name. And he said, Only those who do the will of my heavenly Father will be saved. In other words, the obedience of faith is much more important because with this humble obedience, you're saying, God, I, I don't know how to be saved. You do. You are the Savior. I'm not. You are God. I'm not. You are the one who would show me what real faith looks like, what you really want me to do to find salvation. And so I'm going to entrust myself through an act of adoration, worship, and praise. I'm going to trust myself to God and let God be God and humble myself in his sight. And the, the wonderful thing about humility, once you discover this kind of secret, it is a way of getting along with humans, too. It's amazing how most of the problems you have with your human relationships is your own arrogance. 
once you find that out, it's a beautiful, liberating understanding that if you can humble yourself beneath every person who crosses your path every day, you're probably going to be able to figure out how to get along with them. And you have problems at work, you have problems in your marriage, you have problems with your parents, your children. Uh, usually, it's that you, you don't know how to humble yourself beneath them. And, and that's really, ultimately, the, the gift of being able to get along not only with God, but getting along with every other person. So let us ask for a renewed devotion, especially in this month of October, for devotion to our Blessed Mother Mary, especially the praying of the rosary. When I was alluding to the promises, uh, you know, that Our Lady would come and get you at your death, I was speaking of the 15 promises of, um, to Blessed Alan de la Roche, that it is a great sign of eternal predestination that you have all the heavenly court praying for you that, and that Our Lady will come and get you. Uh, that because you prayed so many times, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. And I remind again that when Our Lady came from heaven and any Marian apparition the past 200 years, she said three words every time. Pray the, she didn't say solve world hunger or find peace among politicians or, you know, whatever. She said pray the rosary. Why is the rosary so powerful? And why is it such an instrument of eternal salvation? Is because it really brings about that obedience of faith that is the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you that you interiorize. It's a 15-minute proclamation of the gospel to your soul, and it's a wonderful means of converting yourself, and not only that, of interceding for your family. And if you want to save somebody, you lasso them, rosary them. Get those chains of, of our Blessed Mother around them and you know, ask our Blessed Mother, please, once again, I'm asking you to intercede before God to save these people. May the intercession of our Blessed Mother, Our Lady, the Most Holy Rosary, pray for us that we may have this proper devotion, especially this authentic humility and this obedience of faith by which we are saved. Let us bring our petitions to the Lord. We pray for the whole church, that it may shine forth the holiness of Jesus Christ to the nations. We pray that the Holy Spirit will raise up saints of our generation. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for a renewal devotion to the Most Holy Rosary in this month of October. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For Holy Father, O bishops and priests, they may preach the gospel with wisdom and courage. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for an increase of faith, hope, and charity, for humility and the obedience of faith by which we are saved. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick, the suffering, the poor, the forgotten, the abandoned, forsaken, and that we may be inspired with generosity to respond to Jesus in his disguise of human misery. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for all of our beloved dead, that they may enter the Father's eternal glory. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Finally, we pray for the salvation of all souls, and that we may be open to our role in bringing as many souls to God as possible. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Eternal and blessed Father, we ask you to hear us for make these and all our petitions in the holy name of Jesus Christ and through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray together. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command, and all the stars obey. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word, and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed, where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread, or gaze upon the sky. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands, for the praise and glory of his name for our good and the good of all his holy church. Look, we pray, O Lord, on the offerings we make to your majesty, that whatever is done by us in your service may be directed above all to your glory through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Father most holy. Through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, your word through whom you made all things, whom you sent as our Savior and Redeemer, incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin, fulfilling your will and gaining for you a holy people, he stretched out his hands as he endured his passion, so as to break the bonds of death and manifest the resurrection. And so with the angels and all the saints, we declare your glory, as with one voice we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Leni Sunceli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, Quim venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy, and you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, 
Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son, and filled with his Holy Spirit, may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you, so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints, on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth with your servant, Francis, our Pope, Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you summon before you in your compassion, O merciful Father. Gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory, through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Percepti salutare postmoniti, et divin institutioni formati, audimus dicere, Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, secut in celo et in terra, 
Panem nostrum quotidianu, da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant our peace and unity, in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the Supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. O Thou, who at Thy Eucharist did pray that all Thy Church might be forever one, grant us at every Eucharist to say with longing heart and soul Thy will be done. Oh, may we all one bread, one body be. Through this blessed sacrament of unity, 
We pray thee to for wanders from thy fold. O bring them back, good shepherd of the sheep, back to the faith which saints believed of old, back to the church which still that faith doth keep. Soon may we all one bread, one body be. Through this blessed sacrament of unity. So, Lord, at length when sacraments shall cease, may we be one with all thy church above, one with thy saints in one unbroken peace, one with thy saints in one unbounded love, more blessed still in peace and love to be, one with the Trinity in unity. Let us pray. May your sacraments, O Lord, we pray, perfect in us what lies within them, that what we now celebrate in signs we may one day possess in truth through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo, Espes Nostra Salve. A te clamamos, Exules Filii Hebe, A te suspiramus, Gementes et Flentes, in hoc lacrimarum vale. Eha ergo, advocata nostra, illos tuos, misericordes oculos, ad nos converte. Et ye Jesum, benedictum frutum ventris tui, nobis, Post hoc exilium, post ende. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Megan. 